All right, welcome into another edition of Designated for Assignment. Josh Holberg here for another week. The Blue Jays split a series against the Philadelphia Phillies at home, a mini two-game set, and then take two out of three despite dropping the opener on Friday at Great American Ballpark uh, against the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, winning series is good, no question about it, but it is very difficult that you won a series and the team that's directly in front of you swept and have won six in a row. And I believe they won 14 out of 17 in the Seattle Mariners and the team that's directly behind you in the standings, the Boston Red Sox swept the sinking, probably sunk New York Yankees. So you lost a game in the standings to both of those teams, despite winning a series against a competitive Cincinnati Reds team so it's hard not to be disappointed at that but you can't be disappointed really with winning a series on the road you know obviously now you've got an off day and then you're going to take on the Orioles we know the situation against the Orioles uh, this season has been dire and the Blue Jays plain and simple uh, no matter what Seattle does or Boston or Houston now, who has come back to the pack a little bit, uh, Texas got swept at home. Who knows before too long, they could be find themselves back in the wild card picture. You're going to have to have success against the teams in your division. If you want to make the playoffs, I, I know everyone has made a lot of that stretch uh, in about 10 days, uh, a week to 10 days, starting with uh, matchups against the likes of the Rockies and Oakland and uh, Washington's in there. I'm not sure they might have a series against Kansas City as well. Some bad teams, no question. And they have to beat them. You look at what the Orioles, the Orioles just pounded the face in of the Oakland A's. Like I understand you never know what can happen. You could lose a game, but you have to take care of that business. But You know, the Mariners have a very easy schedule coming up. Like they've got the White Sox and the Mets. And uh, I believe they have a home series against the Royals as well. They've got some some cookies. They've got a couple of series, I believe, left against the A's. So, you know, you have to take care of your business um, and, and obviously hope for some help, depending on who you're chasing and who you may or may not have the tie break with. But uh, the Blue Jays aren't going to get to the playoffs if they don't improve their prospects and their fortunes um, against the American League East. And that gets going again Tuesday against the Baltimore Orioles. But looking back at the weekend that was, you know, another really solid start for uh, Hyunjin Ryu on Sunday against the Cincinnati Reds. I think this is what it is at this point. I I think he's a five and dive type and it's all about expectations and roles and what you need from him. And right now that's what, that's all you need from him is giving you a chance to win every fifth day. And he's done that so far in his first couple of starts. I thought this was the best he's looked his curveball. Um, I saw after the start, he was asked to grade it uh, zero to a hundred and he said it was a hundred and it was awesome. Like, I think he struck somebody out on a 66 or 67 mile an hour curve. Um, he allowed two unearned runs, you know, Matt Chapman made that horrible mistake on the throw that was cut off should have been zero runs, but he struck out seven, which is a season high over five innings, only gave up four hits, did not give up any hard contact. It was Ryu at his best, right? Pinpoint command, change up really good curveball, really good. And, uh, giving his team a chance to win. And that's what you need from him right now. He's your fifth starter uh, with Bassett and Kikuchi and Barrios and Gosman ahead of him. And thankful for him, because where would this team be right now? They didn't make any moves at the deadline in terms of starting pitching. And their depth is still just Alec Manoa. If I think we heard that on Saturday, 
if somebody was to miss a start due to injury or what have you, Alec Manoa is next in line. Um, it really is the only option to make a start. So if things are still tenuous in that regard, the pitching, the starting pitching in the bullpen has carried this club all season long. You know, they should be better with that level of pitching. You could really make a strong case and the numbers bear it out in a lot of respects that top to bottom, this has been the best pitching staff in baseball and they're hovering around a playoff spot and way back in the division. And it's because of the offense. So, you know, where would this team be without the pitching or, you know, slightly above average league uh, pitching as opposed to, you know, best in the league, they'd be way back and, and not a playoff contender. So the pitching has bailed them out a number of times. It was good to see them hit home runs on Sunday. You know, the first two games of the series was more of the same, uh, an inability to cash with runners in scoring position. Uh, they got shut out for the seventh time over a 50 game stretch on Friday, which was the most in the MLB or most in MLB um, at that point in time. You know, it, it's been what it's been at this point um, for them offensively. You know, I think we could see games like we saw on Sunday. There's enough talent, but to expect it just as a tidal wave after 125, nearly 125 games of not that, you know, they matched their season high on Sunday with five home runs in a game. It was, I believe, only the fourth time this season in um, 100 and. 25 games that they hit at least four home runs as a team. And, you know, that that's the great equalizer. There was a point on Saturday where they were out hitting the Reds, I believe eight to two. And the game was tied because uh, the Reds hit a home run and then they, you know, a walk and then a little league home run. And then it was three, three, you can mask all those deficiencies with runners and scoring position. And that's been the case in the past. You get ducks on the pond and this blue Jays team in the past has hit home runs in big spots to put a crooked number on the board. And we saw that on Sunday, you know, we saw it last week against the Cubs as well, but there's been a lot of four runs or less. And it's Im imperative to have games like this um, down the stretch where not every game is nip and tuck and, and you're relying on your bullpen to be perfect or near perfect for three or four innings. And um, we saw it, you know, with a, a four spot in the second, a four spot in the fourth, there's just no figuring this team out, right? Like they get carved up by whatever that guy's Kennedy was on, on Friday, you know, journeyman had an ERA approaching six heading into that start pitched for the long Island ducks in the independent independent league uh, earlier this season. And they couldn't mount anything. And then Hunter green, who you know, depending on who you ask, I think there's a lot to be said that he's overrated, right? He's got a huge fastball and a good slider, but he's been hittable when he gets hit he gets hit hard and the Blue Jays did a good job um, getting on top of his fastball. You know, maybe they just had to be on it because of how fast it is. Maybe there's something to be said for that level of approach and just playing off of how you attack a fastball um, and uh, playing that off against, you know, how you look to approach off-speed stuff against somebody who doesn't throw as hard. But, you know, they did a good job um, against Hunter Green in his first start after more than two months on the shelf. And, you know, it's always good to head into an off day with a little bit of momentum. So they're half a game back of the Mariners who open up a series on Monday against the White Sox. And they're a couple of games back of the Astros and then the Rays and the Orioles. I don't really think those teams are, are within reach um, at, at this point, something would have to change 
drastically, I think, even with all the injuries that the Rays have had. Uh, they still find ways to win. They won a series against the Angels. They scored 18 runs in the final game of that series. So I think it's really you're looking at uh, Houston and Seattle ahead and, and Boston behind. And I think anything else um, is just background noise at this point. It's really those those three teams. So um, I, I did want to talk a little bit about this Manoa situation because it was bizarre. He had been sent down and there hadn't really been any word on him. And then on Saturday... Uh, he comes up or or he comes up as a topic of conversation and John Schneider basically said that they're still figuring out what to do with him. Uh, he hasn't reported to Buffalo. They're not sure when he's going to make his next start. You know, it sounds like they're figuring out a plan in terms of, you know, what they need to work on and something of that sort. But it just really that begs the question. Yeah, here it is. Figuring out the right time physically, I think, in terms of delivery and things like that for when he'll make his start. Um, and it sounds similar to what he was working on when he got sent down at the beginning of June. And he's still the next in line. So like that's a very scary proposition. And, you know, I was wrong. I, I didn't think we'd see him back up when he got sent down because he was just so far away, it seemed like, from making any sort of consistently positive impact. And he came back up, you know, about a month later, had that good start against Detroit. And then, you know, he had a good outing. He pitched into, I believe, the seventh against the Red Sox. And then other than that, it was more of the same, right? A lot of four-inning, five-inning starts, lack of command, struggles with um, the mound and, and his release point and his footing on the mound. Like, there's a lot of wild misses, arm side, uh, glove side, you name it, he was missing. And, with Ryu coming back and being solid, it just made no sense to continue carrying um, a six-man rotation when you're not getting much from that sixth guy. But it really just begs the question, why did they bring him back um, in the first place? And, you know, I think they probably looked at it as, oh, we saw some stuff here that, you know, we're okay throwing him out there. And I think more than anything at the heart of the issue that I think continues to still be an issue is they just felt as though they didn't have anything else. And that's an re that's how you get yourself into trouble with, you know, a younger pitcher, a younger player, um, you know, when you're throwing them into a situation that maybe at that current time, they're not capable of, or it's not the best possible position for them to have success, then you risk, you know, setting them back and we'll see what happens with Manoa. You know, I was wrong saying he wouldn't be back. I would be really surprised again, barring injury. Um, if he's back, like, you know, you have your set it and forget it five down the stretch. And unless something unforeseen happens, uh, it's about now working on some stuff. The last few weeks uh, of the, I, you know what? I actually think that the triple A season ends in like a week or two. I, I think it's always around the beginning of September. So at this point, maybe he makes one start at triple A, maybe two. And then you're talking about letting him work on some stuff, um, down wherever he needs to heading into the off season, because like in terms of bringing him up when the rosters expand, nah, because I, I want another bullpen arm that I feel as though, um, gives me, you know, just another option to throw out in whatever situation I see, fi see fit. You're going to be in a lot of games, uh, down the stretch against, uh, a lot of good teams and you're going to have to figure out ways to get outs and he doesn't allow you to do that. And uh, another reliever does. So I would be really surprised if on merit uh, we saw Alec Manoa again on a major league mound 
in 2023. Uh, the other big news off the field, I suppose, in the last couple of days was uh, Paul DeYoung being designated for assignment when Bo Bichette was back. And, like, you know, it was, I, I wasn't in on it in the first place. I get why they did it. You know, the Bo Bichette injury really threw a fly in the ointment. They were not making a move. It, it They would not have acquired a position player um, at the deadline, if not for that injury. Like, I think the prices were what they were. Um, the, the market just was not particularly, um, forgiving for buyers. Uh, it just, there, it clearly wasn't a great opportunity to make a move without, you know, paying more than they were comfortable paying. And, you know, did this team deserve that level of faith in making a move that you're not comfortable in making? Like maybe not, but they made the Hicks move. You know, if there was a reasonable move out there, they probably should have made it, but they felt as though, you know, they needed a major league caliber shortstop to fill in for two, three weeks without uh, Bo Bichette on the shelf. And, you know, DeYoung was a good glove, but he had three hits in more than 40 at-bats, one RBI. I don't believe he had an extra base hit. I think it was three singles. He just looked completely overmatched. Um, the swing was way too long. He was getting beat up high. He was getting beat on pitches um, down and out of the strike zone. There was just nothing there. Uh, he just didn't bring anything positive really um the offense was just so bad that any defensive impact you felt he might have made I, I just think was you know muted because he was so bad at the plate and you know to me it's a nothing gain nothing loss situation you traded a 24 year old reliever who has really been bad um since the deal i think he last i checked he matt svanson or svanson whatever it is um had an era over 10 for the Cardinals double A affiliate. Maybe that ends up burning you, maybe not, but you know, they took a I wouldn't even call it a gamble. You know, it's a, it was a low risk medium reward, but probably a low risk, low reward type of trade, you know, hoping that DeYoung could hit enough to give you something and then if he did, then he'd be a, a bench piece uh and a glove option um down the stretch and ideally once you're in the postseason, but you know, they felt as though they'd rather have Santiago Espinal and, and David Schneider up here. And I can't really argue with that. You know, you, you get on them for playing the options game or not playing the options game um, sometimes and prioritizing players who are out of options for players who have options. And in this case, they didn't. And Espinal really hasn't done a ton to deserve that level of confidence or belief or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, Paul DeYoung was so bad. Like, I honestly think that if he had just been bad instead of as, as just truly awful as it was at the plate, he probably would have stuck around. I think just, you know, how far away it seemed he was from doing much of anything at the plate just made the decision for them. And, you know, like at least Espinal was, is more of a threat to make contact. And, you know, when the bar is that low, when you're looking at players with batting averages around 200 below, well below average um, offensive players, league average offensive players, then in that case, you know, you'll take somebody who at least can maybe get the ball in the air with a runner on third and less than two outs or, you know, shoot one the other way and not necessarily give you um, one of those backbreaking strikeouts. So I, I was a little bit surprised at first, I'll admit, because of 
you know, this, this organization's general MO over the past few years being that they prioritize the player who um, is out of options versus the player who has options in these types of situations. But, you know, in this case they didn't. And I, I really don't think it's a, the type of situation that's going to come back to haunt them. You know, the likelihood of Paul DeYoung making a legitimate impact on a semi-consistent basis for a playoff caliber team down the stretch is extremely low. So, you know, it's not a great um, deal in terms of it being the only position player move that you made at the deadline, but it is what it is. And, you know, the other moves that they made with the Cardinals, especially the Cabrera one, and, you know, Hicks is, it's been up and down. You know, he hung that sweeper to Christian Encarnacion Strand on Friday and then struck out the side. Uh, was dominant on on Saturday. You know, it is what it is with him. He's going to be up and down. But those two deals, I think, you know, made a lot of sense, especially the Cabrera one and, and also really the Hicks one. And, you know, I still think you're up on the whole in that whole equation. If you just look at those three trades as one big deal with the Cardinals, I think you're still mostly happy with, you know, how that has, uh, has gone. And uh, another thing I wanted to talk about on the positive side of the offensive equation, you know, Dalton Varsho has been solid lately. Um, He's hitting over 300 in his last 15 games. His OPS is over 900 in that span, almost a thousand. I think it's actually over a thousand, three home runs over his last 45 at bats. He hasn't been striking out that much. He has gotten on top of some fastballs up in the zone, flattened out that swing and drove a couple out on uh, the homestand against the Phillies. He did some damage and that's what you want to see more of from him because he just needs to be even slightly below league average. Like if he gives you a 95 WRC plus when a hundred is, is league average with the, you know, quality of defensive player that he is. And I know that some of the metrics are inconsistent because they don't value left field as much. He's number one among all players, regardless of position. Last I checked in defensive runs saved, it was over 20 and that's playing left field. That's playing center field. You see it. The numbers, I would say in this case, back up the eye test. He's an elite, elite defensive player and a a really good base runner as well, as well. And you're just looking for, you know, something approaching what we are seeing right now, you know, stretches like this. And then the valleys, you just don't want the valleys to be where he's hitting a buck 50 and and has no extra base hit power and is striking out a ton and is killing your um, momentum when he comes up at the plate. You know, the peaks are great. We're all about peaks. You just have to flatten out those valleys a little bit, not have as many of them. And if you do have some, they can't be quite as deep as they've been uh, for Varsho for the majority of this season, but he does have an opportunity to close out this season strong and, you know, really emerge as an important player uh, for this club on both sides of the ball, but uh, particularly offensively, if he can help, you know, provide a little bit of power lengthen the lineup in the bottom third of the order uh, that would go a long way, I think, to helping alleviate some of the, you know, problems that have plagued this team really all season long. So uh, full marks to Dalton Varsho for uh, the last couple of weeks. 
in terms of his performance, you know, so conversely, somebody who hasn't been performing uh, particularly great is Matt Chapman at the plate. You know, he had that finger injury where he it got pinched with a dumbbell or something, as always, you know, lifting weights. I, I've, I, I've done it at points in my life. I'm not a lift guy, cardio or just not, not equipment. There's just, there's too many risks. It, I, I've always been freaked out by it and stuff like that. You know, seeing somebody, a, a, a jacked monster like Matt Chapman suffer that type of injury, um, you know, sort of just reiterates that for me, but he's hitting a buck Oh seven over his last seven games, three for his last 28, 10 for his last 57. Uh, he doesn't have an extra base hit over the last couple of weeks. You know, the season long numbers, I, I know he's leads the American league with 35 doubles, but he's only got 15 home runs. Um, he probably will get to 20, but considering he hasn't been, uh, under 24 in a full season in his career. Like his lowest was outside of the pandemic season of 2020 he Had 14 and 84 games as a rookie in 2017. Last year, he had 27, he had 27 in 2021, he had 36 in 2019, he had 24 in 2018. The power production just has not been there. You know, his, the on-base percentage has been better. His walk rate is still pretty good. He strikes out more than you'd like. Um, you know, his on-base percentage is the highest it's been in four years. So that's good, but you need more from him in that regard. You just, you need more pop. It's the same thing with Vladdy, who's got this finger injury now, you know, guys like that who have between 15 and 20 home runs. I like you, I'm not going to say it's a disaster, but it's way closer to being a disaster than it is to being acceptable when you consider how this team, um, was appeared to be constructed you know, you weren't expecting maybe 40 combined home runs from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Matt Chapman. That's just not good enough. You would have hoped that one of those guys would have been able to eclipse that. You were probably hoping for 70, at least 60, but ideally more than that home runs from those two combined. And, you know, they're not really even probably going to get to two thirds of that uh, over the course of a full season. So, you know, those two in particular, in terms of their lack of consistency, hitting balls over the fence, have been real poster children for what has plagued the Blue Jays um, all season long. And, you know, the Matt Chapman free agent situation is going to be a fascinating one. He's an awesome defensive player. That error notwithstanding, you know, he's not quite as dominant as he was when he was winning platinum gloves and a perennial gold glover, but he is certainly going to be in the conversation this year. You know, he's among the league leaders in defensive runs saved at third base. Um, a lot of the metrics are smiling down at, at him. You know, he doesn't make every insane play like he used to because he's, you know, at the age that he's at where he's at 30 years old. Some of the athleticism isn't quite necessarily there. But he's still in the 89th percentile and it's above average. Um, he's been really solid defensively. And, you know, we saw without him, it's not there. You know, Santiago Espinal isn't going to be this club's third baseman next year. But, you know, whether it's Addison Barger or Elvis Martinez or what have you, you know, there's going to be a hole to fill, presuming Matt Chapman's not back next year, which I think most people expect is going to be the case. You know, they're going to have to adjust to a life without having that reliability at an important defensive position. You know, you'll sacrifice a bit of that if, you know, the player that replaces him or the players that replace him provide more offensive production than he did or has this year. 
but uh, it's going to be a major adjustment if he's not back next year. And, you know, as far as what he's looking at in terms of a contract, I've seen some, you know, prognostications in terms of free agent predictions, looking at the Marcus Simeon deal as a comp. I just don't see that because Marcus Simeon had a historically great offensive season for a second baseman in a walk year. It's like the prototypical walk season. You had 45 home runs, your huge presence to a young team. Um, you're finished third in the MVP vote. Like Matt Chapman's not having that caliber of year. He plays better defense at a more premium position, which is going to certainly juice his market, especially in a depressed overall market really uh, in general, but especially for position players, like he's going to probably get a nine figure deal. I, I would think some team's going to give him at least a hundred million for six years. Is he going to get a seventh year? Maybe, but the blue Jays aren't giving him six years, a hundred plus million. And I, I really don't think that they should, because um, I, I just think that those are the types of deals that can really hamstring you. Look at the Yankees right now. They have a ton of potential or already existing anchor deals. Like look at that Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron judge. How's that one going to age? They signed DJ LeMayhew. Rizzo's got another year. You know, you start adding up guys on the wrong side of 30 with term, you know, that you get into problems and you can't really make those mistakes go away. And you're, it really hamstrings your payroll flexibility. So, you know, I would allocate that resource those resources to multiple areas uh, rather than just, you know, sinking it into Matt Chapman and hoping um, that he can give you a couple more years of good production and that the decline um, isn't too steep. So, uh, you know, as always, it's a, an eventful week in Blue Jays land. You know, they're in a really interesting race. There's no doubt about it. The Mariners are playing awesome baseball on every level. And, you know, in a lot of ways, they are similar to the Blue Jays. They pitch really well. Their bullpen has been really good. And offensively, since the beginning of July, they've been really good after being god awful for the first three months of the season. And, you know, Julio Rodriguez is having an insane stretch. You know, he had a 17 hits in a four game span or whatever it was, setting a major league record. You know, sometimes special players do that. And unfortunately, you know, the player that a lot of Blue Jays fans, myself included, would have expected to be that type of metronome. Has not been, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. since 2021 just hasn't had a stretch where, you know, he hits 600 over six games and is tearing the cover off the ball and carrying the freight offensively. It just hasn't happened. Um, you know, it might down the stretch, but I would be surprised considering, you know, his inability to really look sharp on fastballs, you know, timing wise, he just has been out of sorts really all season, but especially since the first month when he was driving balls to every part of the field and really on time. Since then, it's just been out of whack and out of sorts, and there just hasn't been um, that level of consistency. So Seattle's not going anywhere because, you know, they've they've really played their way back into the race over the last month, for sure, three weeks especially. They've made up, you know, five, five and a half games over the last six weeks. You know, they're here to stay. The Astros have been banged up. Um, some they've made some moves. They're not going anywhere. They have World Series pedigree. They've made it to the American League Championship Series six straight years. You know, Boston 
there's some deficiencies on their roster, no doubt about it, but they can really hit. And uh, that's not a team that I would take lightly, especially with the struggles that the Blue Jays have had against them, albeit outside of that sweep at Fenway um, a little while ago. So the Blue Jays are just going to have to start playing consistent baseball. There's no margin for error anymore. You know, Um, you're not going to win every game, but you want to put yourself in a position to win as many series as you can here. And, you know, that's all you can ask for is just take care of as much of your own business as you can and, you know, not work yourself into a tizzy too much about what other teams are or aren't doing around you in the standing. So, you know, to some extent, they control their own destiny and they've just got to find a way to um, play solid baseball and do enough to win ball games. That's what it's all about at this time of the year. And they were able to do that, uh, especially after dropping the first game of a series. You know, the statistics of winning a three-game series after losing the first game aren't great, especially on the road. So full marks to the Blue Jays for doing that and heading into an off day with a little bit of momentum. As always, appreciate you listening and tweeting at DFA underscore pod at Jay Goldberg 12 is where you can find the podcast and myself on Twitter. It's funny. It's, is it X? It's like, I've got tweet deck it's X pro, but it still says tweet deck.twitter.com. So, you know, you can find me there uh, as always. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for leaving some reviews. I appreciate that designated for assignment, like rate review, comment, subscribe. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate you uh, sticking with me, listening every week. For those of you that do any new listeners, we welcome those as well. And I appreciate any feedback on the podcast as always. Thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next week. You know, an interesting week to come Orioles in Baltimore than the guardians at home next weekend. You know, it's it's uh, not cutting time. It's big time. It's time to put those big boy pants on um, if you're the Blue Jays. And uh, this is what it's all about. You know, we're basically out of the dog days of summer and September is coming and it's going to be a mad dash to the sprint to try and get to the playoffs for the second straight year. I'm Josh Goldberg. Thanks as always for listening. And we'll talk to you next week on Designated for Assignment.